All right, good morning, everybody. If you're tuning in online, welcome to church. If you are in the room, can you feel that? Just the excitement, the atmosphere, the family, the connection. And we are going to jump into worship this morning. And we are going to glorify the God who created everything. We get to come together and we get to worship. We get to lay it all down. We get to say, God, here's my peace. Do what you will. And so this morning, wherever your heart's at, wherever your mind, your, your week's been, let's all just, can we actually just do that? Let's put our hands in front of us. And God, we say, you are everything. God, we give you what we have and we say thank you that you love us. Thank you that you know us. Thank you that you're with us. And God, this morning, we give you what we have. And we will worship you. We will turn our hearts to you. We will turn our minds to you because, God, you are good. So this morning, join together. Let's jump in. Turn your heart to God as we worship. This is the sound of divine procession. Hail him. Hail him. We welcome you. We welcome you into Alberta. Canada says yes. We were told to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the summary of that is articulated in Revelations when it says the spirit and the bride say come. The entire full expression of our worship is to welcome him, is to with faith make room for him on the earth. That's what we're doing. It's not ritual. It's not liturgy. It's not remembering. It's making something available now. He wants to come in. And the amount that he can manifest is based on how welcomed he is. Do we actually believe that this is more than ceremony? Come on, let's pull on the cords of heaven. God. The kingdom of God is structured in such a way that he is the epicenter. All roads lead to him our worship is for him the reason we pray is for him and we're looking for one outcome more of him and his promise is that he's going to fill the earth with the knowledge of himself His promise is that if we see him as he is, we're changed into his likeness. And the grand plan of God is that a people would worship him in spirit and truth with a pure hunger that would draw him to the earth. That's why we're here, not to sing our favorite music, not to get through a ceremony or a particular agenda of items, 
but to draw near. Father, I thank you, God, that in these days you are raising up a people in the earth who seek your face, who long for you and you alone, who every song, every prayer, every release of sound and breath is the sound of desire. It says, Lord, come closer. I, I truly believe that the thing that's going to bring Jesus back to the earth is not a date on a calendar. It will happen on a date on a calendar. But that's not what is the primary catalyst. The primary catalyst is desire. When the church on earth, when the people on earth responsible for saying your kingdom come, say it in such a meaningful way that he can't ignore their sound anymore. And for those that are new here, I'll say the same thing I've said over and over. Israel murmured and complained and released the sound of suffering for years and years and years. And eventually, the sound of ache and the sound of pain was responded to, but it took 400 plus years. Yet Daniel sought the Lord, and the angel said, the moment you began to speak, your voice was heard. The difference between suffering and murmuring and pain and a voice of faith and purity is 400 years versus one second. I don't want to be the sound of murmuring and complaining that God can't stand the belly aching in the back room. He's got to come and silence that. I want to be the church that says with faith, Lord, we love you. Lord, we long to see you. Lord, we love and treasure your presence. And we'll do anything to prepare the way for you. So, Lord, we want to say... Thank you for this excellent privilege. (laughs) The privilege to be near you, to be in your presence, to be as close as we want to be. Lord, help us change our wants so that we want to be closer. Amen. We, we, we have a pleasure and a privilege and an honor, really, of being a part of some significant things. And, you know, sometimes I, I think we, we don't really know what we have because we're so used to it. But if you have traveled around the nations as I have, one of the things you realize is that not every church is the same. And, uh, and uh, not, every, not every worship service is the same. You know, when you can have gifted musicians and still not go deep. Did you know that? You can have amazingly talented, tight performances and, and yet stay at a pretty superficial level. Uh, because, because you know what? It's safer for us to do something rehearsed and performed than it is to try to do something we've never done before. 
And, uh, you know, there's something intimidating about trying to go or particularly lead a group of people to a place you have never been. It's actually very, very hard. Have you ever noticed it? If you're, uh, if you're leading a group of people, maybe you're, one of the, you're a kid in the family and you're going and you're walking in the mall and all of a sudden you reach the very maximum of what you know. You're, you know that this, the restaurant you're going to is that way, but at some point you lose the confidence that you know where to go further. What you do is you stop and you turn around and you look for somebody else to take the lead because y- you can't go further. You can't go past this. And so the hesitancy, you know, unless you're totally arrogant. <laughs> Come on, Jesus, follow me. Uh, so, so in the spirit, when we're worshiping, that's what's happening. We're going places, and sometimes we're going places we've never been before, and sometimes it's intimidating. We know how to sing songs. But songs aren't what takes us further. It's understanding where we're going. And I remember uh, uh, the first glimpse of this, and I, I didn't realize it. We were at an event with David Demian. It was a significant national gathering. And the worship leader at the time, I remember the person's name. I won't say their name. But we got to this place, and all of a sudden, there was this spontaneous roar and shout that came into the room. And, uh, and the congregation just kind of went ballistic. And the person who was leading kind of got to the end of what they knew to do. Where, they got to the end of where they knew to go. And you know what they did? They just stopped and watched the people. Because it's like, what do you do after this? We've never been this far. <laughs> and it was, it, because it's literally about geography. It's literally about going into places. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. What if that was more literal than we ever knew? What if Jesus was inviting us to explore rooms in the mountain of God and that everything we're doing in worship and prayer is about finding the treasures and the resources of rooms that have been prepared for us? If you compare that experience against ritual or, uh, you know, the sequence of a typical service, well, this is when we do the announcements, this is when we, we sing three songs, and then there's an exhortation, and there's a time of, you know, we want to slow it down at some point and sort of curate a, uh, an emotional moment so people can be reflective, and then we'll go into a big hurrah at the end. Ah, you know, these artificial nuances of ups and downs and what we know consists of a, what a breakthrough looks like and then that we repeat it. I, no thanks. I'm not interested. There's a real destination. God is inviting you to a place. God is inviting us to a seat. Ah, oh, man. I get so excited when I talk about these things. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm introducing, I'm trying to get to my message. You know, it says in Ephesians, it says that we are seated in heavenly places. You know, every time it says that, we often take that as a, a flat reality. This is what we get. 
You know, we're, I'm seated in heavenly places. And the thing we omit to realize is the person that's writing that is writing that to instruct others. And often when they're writing it, like in Corinthians, and I've shared this one again and again, they said, we have, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. But that wasn't a statement of generality. That, that wasn't a, that wasn't, he wasn't saying the condition of every believer is that they have the mind of Christ. In fact, he was saying the polar opposite. He was saying, you guys, you Corinthians, do not have the mind of Christ. Did you know that? It's good, it helps to read the Bible. He was, in fact, saying, now, this is available to you, but you don't have it. And here's the reasons, here's the evidence that you don't have it. And sometimes we read the Bible and we see things that the apostles say, and we take it as our own, and it's meant for us, but it doesn't mean we automatically have it. We're called to enter into that. You are, you are called to be seated in heavenly places, but how many of you know sometimes you operate from a lower place? <laughs> right? Sometimes we operate from a very natural place, from a flesh place. No, you know, not all of us, but because some of us are always flying high, right? (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. No, no. Everything you get, everything you're supposed to have, everything you're promised, everything that is defined as normative for the Christian life is acquired by faith. By faith. By faith. You get it by faith. And so that means you walk in it to the degree that you've attained through faith. That's the language of Scripture. In as much as we have attained, let us so walk, Paul says in Philippians. And so why would being seated in heavenly places be any different? Sometimes you're under things that you shouldn't be under, but your calling is to be over them. But you don't lie to yourself. You know, when you're in total fear and panic and anxiety, you say, well, I have peace. No, you don't. You can't have peace, but right now that's not your condition. You are not operating from a seat in heavenly places. You are operating under the circumstances. And that's just the reality. So we have potential that we're ascending into, but it's, it's not realized just because we say it's so. It's realized because we're walking a journey and we know the difference from being here, between being here and being here. And that's why as worship, churches are learning to ascend into places where the authority of the king and the presence and the glory of his kingdom begin to descend to the earth. If we draw near to him, he draws near to us. That's the, that's the thing. That's the deal. That's what we're doing. And there's a, a skill level that's acquired through doing this. So I want to talk about something today. I call it significant places. Significant places. I've been uh, working on, I'm writing a trilogy. It was one book, but then it got too big to be one book, and I got a prophetic word from a friend in Ontario who said, should be three books. And so now it's a trilogy. And I've got some friends helping me f- come up with a name, and uh, we don't know for sure what the name's going to be, and I won't share with you some of the ideas, because I don't want to muddy the waters, because maybe one of you is going to have a dream and give me the, you know, the real, the title. But let, let me say something about significant places. I've had a number, a handful in my life of life-changing watershed moments. I, I, I classify 
visitations of the Lord in different ways. I've had three that I would put at the very top, on the top echelon of transformative uh, encounters with the presence of God. These ones, these are defined unusually in that when I look back on my life, I was distinctly one way before the event and distinctly one way after the event. It's not a blessing, it's not a, 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 a refreshing, it's not an encounter with an anointing that's powerful, that speaks to me, that you know, communicates that God loves me. Those are all wonderful moments. But this was transformative, where I was one way one second and another way another second. And, and the life-altering nature of these encounters is just so evident and stands so far above everything else, I classify it differently. What I didn't realize when I had the first one (sighs) is that experiences happen in a moment, but they happened because of a place. Experiences happen in a moment of time. Change comes in a moment of time, but it doesn't just happen because we've come into a moment. We've actually come into a place. And the question is, How do I get back to that place? How did I get here the first time? What are the conditions that made it possible for me to be here? Are these things that can be understood and navigated? Can I enter God's presence on purpose? Or is there a factor uh, or an assortment of factors that that I, I, it's always going to be a mystery. That's a convenient term we use when we don't understand. Oh yeah, you know, God's ways are mysterious unless you know them, right? I mean, to me, you know, mechanics, mechanics are a mystery. You know why? Because I don't know them. You know why the engine starts one time and doesn't start the next time? It's like, you got me. But, you know, I invite my friend Darcy over and suddenly it magically starts after a few little, like, what, you, you did that on purpose? That happened on purpose. Everything's a mystery unless you know it. And God is saying, listen, you've been invited into the mystery so that you can know what to do. I want to be a son who knows what to do. I want to explore these things so I know how to do them. This is what we've been invited to and a journey to explore hidden places so that we could find transformative moments. And they're not enigmatic in terms of their occurrence, in terms of their distribution, in terms of why, or, you know, was God in a particularly good mood, or, 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 or you know, what, what really happened there? So let me talk for a second, and I'll slow it down, about places. Uh, in the natural, right? In the natural, we have places, and places, places are meaningful to us, right? Why do you go back to the restaurant where you were engaged, right? Why did you go there to be engaged? You went there because, because there's a certain nuance, right? You went to a certain, you didn't go to McDonald's, right? You know, I'm going to Ask my bride, my, my wonderful girlfriend, my fiance, or, you know, it's not a fiance. Yeah, I'm going to ask this wonderful person to marry me. Yeah, we're going to go and have some um, McNuggets. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, when the, the lights are bright and the noise is plentiful, 
<laughs> and kids are yelling and screaming. I'm going to, in that moment, you know, overwhelm that atmosphere with the nuance of romance by getting down on my knee and presenting her with this treasured ring. No, of course not. That, because events coincide with atmospheres, and atmospheres coincide with places. You got, we got to make this connection. Places are equivalent to atmospheres, and atmospheres are equivalent to encounters. Oh, I can feel, you know what? Somebody came up to me today and said, said to me before the service, Mark, keep telling us the same things. Do you hear that? Keep, I love that, because that's all I got. <laughs> all I got is the same stuff. But, but see, we, we, we underestimate the, the, the technical nature of these things and how it's not enough to give credence to them by, ex, by ascending, as, giving assent to their existence. We actually have to interact with them until they create a, a definitive experience, and not occasional, but regular experience, because that's what this is all about. To remove the mystery, to remove the occasional, to make it a part of who we are. So I was thinking about this the other day, and I was thinking about it as a family, when I'm, when I'm thinking about some of the family moments that I'm most fond of, uh, I, I think of places. Because, you know, we went to, we'd taken our kids to Disneyland in California. We weren't rich enough to go to Florida, like some people. So we drove down to California, because that's accessible within 48 hours. Well, we drove a couple times, three times, I think, from Vancouver. But, but we went down there, and here's the thing is that, is that when I go back there, even if the kids aren't there, you know what I remember? I remember the times when the kids were there. I'll even go on rides, not even because I enjoy them, but because I'm experiencing vicariously what I remember about the kids' joy when they were there. So places represent experiences, and not only that, when I go into that place and I walk by, I mean, if you've ever been to Disneyland in California, you know that every region has an aura, has an atmosphere, has a theme. And you go into one area and all of the experiences you had in that, in that area kind of come back to you when you're walking by the Tiki Tiki room. If you like that sort of thing, as soon as you hear the, you know, the, the birds and stuff, you know where you are. Right, you know right where you are. If you hear the the sounds of the song or the the nuances of that place, you you go by that, uh, you know what's the one with the uh, the the big white ape? Yeah, the Mount Everest one, the get yet, the Yeti one, right? You know it has a particular sound, and there's a certain music. It's the same music they played 30 years ago. So you know where you are because the nuances of that place represent that place. And so this is how we work. This is how our minds work. This is how our emotions work. But we need to make this connection that experiences are connected to places. And that places have a certain aura or atmosphere around them that speaks of the place and the experience. They, co- they coincide with one another. Yeah. Nobody here who's ever had a donut or ever experienced the wonder of a Tim Hortons or, or whatever other favorite baker you have, will mistake the smell of baking goods when you come within 100 yards 
of that place, right? It's like, you know, you probably weren't even thinking about donuts. And then you're driving by and all of a sudden the, the aroma of that place is speaking to you. You must have a, a sour cream glazed. <laughs> See, in the natural, in the natural, this is true. This is how it works. And, you know, you may not have been hungry, but as soon as you smelt that, it's like, well, yeah, I could go for a donut. I was thinking about this the other day, and we've had the opportunity to have five children. Well, when I say we, I said one of us did more work than the other. But I remember the last time, uh, in fact, actually, when, when we had Jaden, we weren't sure how many kids we were going to have. And so I remember wanting to capture the moment. And, because, and the moment didn't, wasn't just the birth itself. It wasn't just the event. The moment was captured by the smells in the room. But also there were sounds. There was, I remember when I went back for our fourth child and they hooked up that fetal heart monitor. And all of a sudden, it, and remember right away, it brought me back to the first three births. The fetal heart monitor represents that room and the smells of that room represent, you know, hospitalized uh, zones where, you know, antiseptic is being applied to make sure it's clean. But these things always go together. They're package deals. So places provide experiences, nurturing and providing certain atmospheres. Now God understands this, and so he says to Israel, come and meet me at Mount Sinai. He says, I want you to come to the mountain. Well, we could do as some people said. I remember back when the Toronto thing was being poured out, and, and people I knew arrogantly said, you know, I don't have to go to Toronto. If God wants to do that, he can do it here. That makes me so angry. I think, I think the hubris of that. So you won't be bothered to pay any price for this. So you, you, know, you think that God is, is so oriented around your desires, needs, and preferences, and priorities that he should always be the one coming to you. I, uh, that, that mindset is, is insane. Yes, God can do the same thing anywhere, but if he's not doing it here, it behooves you to go there. Right? Because there might be, you might learn a thing or two. You know, if God's visiting, if God revival is happening and people are being resurrected from the dead, you believe it, you can believe it because I'm, I'm, I'm buying a ticket and I'm going. I want to be there. Unless the Lord specifically says no. I wasn't even allowed to go to Toronto. I tried to go. And the Lord said no, and he wouldn't let me go. Which is odd, because I was going everywhere else at the time. But anyway, the point is, God says, come to Mount Sinai. So they go to Mount Sinai. It's, here's three things about the places where God wants to bring encounter for your life. If you want an encounter, you need to find the places that are unique in several ways. And this is what I saw. It's, not only is it, it's unique in geography. It's not in the desert. It's not in, in where they came from. It is a very distinct place, Sinai, one mountain. Well, there's other mountains. Why won't, why won't we just go to this mountain? It's closer, Lord. If you want a mountain, why don't you pick the one right next to us? Why, why that one way over there? Just to see if you really want it. I was reading this morning, Hezekiah, 
Hezekiah was the king of Israel. I, I, I missed some of the language the last time I read through it because it said, no, there was none like him before and none like him after. I, I thought that was pretty cool. And it talked about how God walked with him, but then there's this one phrase in Second Chronicles right towards the end, and it says this. It says that, that God was, basically God was with him Except the time that the Babylonian princes came to visit him, God withdrew from him to see how he would respond. I, I thought, hmm. Yeah, this is not my message today, but how are you responding when God withdraws? Anybody ever have God withdraw from your life seemingly? I'm in a wilderness time. God's mad at me. God don't like me. God wants to see how you're going to respond. What bubbles to the surface? Anger? Offense? Indignation? How dare he? I didn't do anything wrong. Or humility? Brokenness? Hunger? Obedience? Passion? I must have you. I'll chase you to the ends of the earth. I mean, why, why did Elijah try to get away from Elisha? How's that for a spiritual father? You wait right here. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> right you look at these why would they do that to see how you're going to respond yeah I don't like that much God wants to know how you're going to respond Father help us respond the right way we want to find you so Mount Sinai was a place but here's the other thing God specifically chose a mountain a high place not only is it a place distant from them, but it's a place that's hard to get to. The third thing about it is it was, it was an exclusive place. That means not everybody could go up there. Some people were not permitted to enter, right? Most of the nation, they put boundaries around and said, listen, if you try to get past this boundary, you're dead. Okay, thanks for that. So then who's allowed to draw near? I mean, what, what's, what's the whole secrecy thing about? Why, why is this exclusive? Why is it that some can enter and others can't enter? Because all of this, it says, was written for our example and is a shadow of other things. They represent other realities. Everything that happened naturally with Israel is happening spiritually with you right now. The fact that God chooses places to meet with us is, is not speaking today about geography, but about a place of the Spirit that you can step into or not. That everything that happened about physical geography in that day now represents spiritual geography. It has to do with a place. It has to do with a high place. It has to do with an elusive and an exclusive place. And the question is, God is saying, who wants it? Who, who wants it? Well, I don't know. What's it going to cost to go there? I remember a few years ago, I was uh, in Dallas for some meetings, and some of the guys, after our meetings were done, were going to go to a Dallas Cowboys football game. I had to fly out the next morning, and I started evaluating how badly I wanted to go. Well, the ticket was $200 U.S. It, it meant, uh, meant, you know, going there, dealing with the traffic, dealing with 60,000 people trying to make their way into this place. And then afterwards, having to, if we went out afterwards, that it's even later and I have to get up early in the morning and I have to navigate the traffic and I have to get back to my hotel close to the airport. And I'm thinking, yeah, I don't want it that bad. 
I don't want to pay that price. But that's just a football game, and that's fine. But God is saying, I got stuff. I got glory. I got life-changing presence. I've got transformative power available to you. I mean, in abundance, more than you can possibly imagine. And I'm testing your hearts to see whether you want it or not. But here's the problem is that as you mature as a Christian, as your life gets increasingly better, as, as things start to, you know, the, the sin is fading from your life and you're, 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 you've, you're, you're now medium. You're a medium Christian. You know, you can make it to church, get in church, behave properly to the degree that nobody's saying that guy doesn't belong here. That's a level of transformation. The question is, is that all you want? Are you good with that? Yeah, I just want to fit in. I, I just want to be able to go to church and, you know, what are they doing? Okay. This is what we do here. Uh, that, that's, that's a level of transformation where you accommodate the behaviors that make you feel like you belong in the moment. But God is saying, listen, I got a lot more than that. Is that all you want? How badly do you want it? So I'm going to take a step back. What are you going to do now? Well, I guess God doesn't want to be around me. You know, so here, I'll just, I'll just hang around out here. One, maybe one day he'll come back. I guess this is the way it is. You know, you just don't, you can't live on the mountain all, all your life. See, the desperate person say, I'll do anything I can to get back there. In you, I live and move and have my being. I can't live here. I can't exist here. I'm dying here. I must have more of you. Does that define you, or is it good enough? You know, like, um, my job's good. My family's reasonable. You know, maybe my kids aren't what kind of Christian I'd like them to be, but at least, you know, they're occasionally going to church. I guess that's enough. You know, I mean, what can you do? Well, you know, I, I've got a decent job, and I don't know mostly what Mark talks about, but, you know, I, I catch a few things. That's probably good enough. No! The mysteries of the universe are being made available to us, and we're, I mean, it's the best lottery tickets, the winning numbers, and you're walking right by it when you could get it because you don't believe it's possible. I'm not sure if that if this works, and... I don't want to do it wrong and look silly. Really? That's, look silly? I don't want to look stupid. I don't, I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm doing, you know. I know how to do this so far. You know, I, I'm not sure I want to be banging sticks. So in Genesis 28, 16, there's this amazing, and I've talked about this before, Jacob's coming along, he's looking for a wife, goes to a place, sleeps at night, God visits him, he gets up in the morning, and this is what he says. He says, how awesome is this place? How awesome is this place? I had an experience here, but he immediately connected the experience, not with a moment in time, but with a place. Now, these are all Old Testament references, and they have to do with with a picture of something the Lord is giving us. So what what else does the Lord say about places? Psalm 24, 3 to 6 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? who may stand in his holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek your face. See, I mean, that's scripture there. That's, that's Old Testament, but it's kind of leaning into New Testament values. All of it, yeah, he's talking about a place, 
But this is not just a physical mountain, even though he's talking about a physical mountain. But here's the thing. You can go up to Jerusalem whether or not these things are, 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 are in your life. He, like, you see, he's, he's suddenly talking about invisible, mystical elements, hidden things of the heart. He who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. Who, he, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, who's deciding that when I go up? I mean, it's not like every step there's a Levite saying there, did you wash your hands? Did you wash your hands? Did you wash your hands? Right, you could, so, so he's talking about a physical place, but there's, that prophetic scripture is intimating a spiritual place. Can you see that? Is that, is that obvious enough? Isaiah chapter two, verse three says, many shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now that's again another prophetic scripture. But let me quickly turn over to the New Testament because we need to understand that, that the condition of our life was meant to change and it was meant to ascend, was meant to go higher. And that when we worship, everything we're doing is about ascending. And one of the reasons why I am so mm, aggressively, you know, directive towards a place is because I've been in churches. I've been in churches where, where, where the slightest, I mean, let me give you an example. If you want to go to the beach, you are hot and you are sweating and you are imagining frolicking in the refreshing water. But some people that are with you don't even know water exists. And as soon as they get close enough to the water that you can start to smell the beach, they, they say, oh, isn't that refreshing? Is that you're refreshing? What are you talking about? Well, can't you smell the water? Yeah. Well, let's stop right here. Well, no. No. Why don't we go to the actual water? What? You can do that? What do you mean? You can actually go right into the water? Like if you've been in the water, smelling the water is not enough. Getting close to that waterfall where you're getting misty little you know, droplets of water eventually accumulating on your skin after 10 minutes is not sufficient when you frolicked in it. Spiritually, that's the same thing. God is trying to acclimatize us to what it means to be at this place versus this place versus this place. You can be right in the river. What does that feel like? See, a lot of people have never experienced it, and so they look at people experiencing it, and they think theatrics. They think drama. They think pretend. They think, well, these are very excitable people. You know, they have that kind of personality that makes them, you know, prone to excessive emotion. And there is that. And the enemy will always throw people like that in the mix so that the rest of us who, not, who aren't sure about it are, are, are put off. Does that make sense? But the question is, how badly do you want it? How badly do you believe it's real? Or is it, yeah, I don't need those sort of cathartic emotional moments. I'm, I'm quite happy as I am. If it was only a cathartic emotional moment, I would say, fine. But if it's drawing near to the Lord, I say, why would we stop? Why would we let our satisfaction with what we have now be the barrier of approaching him and kissing him and having him kiss us back? 
having him kiss the land. See, I believe that God wants to kiss the land that is Parkland County. I believe God wants to kiss the land that is Alberta. I believe God wants to open a gate and a door for glory to come down on a place. And he's wondering, is there anybody who seeks me hard enough, who values this enough to make this the place where glory comes down? And so to that end, we have scriptures like James 4, verse 7 and 9. It says, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Right? There it is. We are commanded to draw near to him. Not because he's like, all right, I said draw near, now draw near. Though that's reason enough. But he says, listen, unfathomable beauty is hidden in me. The treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in me. Do you want some of this? Do you want some of this? Now, interestingly enough, there seems to be some criteria. Because he says, draw near to me and draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But then it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. When I look back on those three experiences, I've had hundreds and hundreds of experiences in the presence of the Lord. But these three, I put them in the class of epic because it was before and after moments. I was one way before, I was a very different way afterwards. And when I look at and survey the experience of my life, I realize that they were accidental in one sense, but they're meant to be purposeful. I just still don't know how to get to that place. And you can admit that, you know. I can get to some places, just not to that place. So how did you get there the first time? Well, that's the way God, God can do things, you know. And I won't, experience, I won't explain the whole thing, but humility has a great deal to do with it. Disappointment, brokenness, failure on my part, you know, God dealing with my exalted heart, my heart being lifted up and then he, he did things, he allowed circumstances because that's what happened. God resists the proud. And he's not doing that to punish you, he's doing that to bring your heart down so you can have a moment. So, because in his kingdom, he's got security better than the Pentagon. Okay, guilty person. <laughs> don't look anybody, don't look. Our point is this. God is working. He ought not to be the only one. God is positioning things as much as he can. But he needs willing subjects. And he won't force something on you you don't really want. And you say, well, well Mark, uh, you sometimes say you didn't want it. How did you get there? <laughs> it's true. But your want here and your want here are very different. And sometimes you don't want here, but you want here. And so God orchestrates events to make things possible. 
And knit with that is something of his purpose, his divine callings. And so I happened upon some moments purely by accident because God said before the foundations of the earth have called you to do this and I'm going to do my darndest to make sure that it comes to pass in your life. But I will at some point need your cooperation. I want to know. I want to understand. I don't want moments to be occasional. There are moments that are exclusive and wonderful and life-changing that I haven't learned to get to, but I, I believe this, firmly I believe this, I believe that we as the church are about to step into a level of encounter that previously we never knew how to get there and we only happened accidentally and it was a, a, a convergence of circumstances, anointings, conditions of our heart that came out of uh, t- times of maybe brokenness, disheart- where we were disheartened, but then rejuvenated our faith. I don't know what the perfect combination of elements is that brings us into a moment, but God is giving us, because of his favor, moments with that in order that he could bring us to a place where we understand what makes for one so we can start having it on purpose. And this is, this. I'm gonna close right here and then Ben Ben has some things he wants to introduce to us. God is looking for a people to have moments so that we can help others have moments. And everything I do, and you may think, Mark, you're, you're, you're too stubborn, you're too hard, you're too difficult, you're, 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 not, uh, you're, you're not gentle enough, you're not exhortive enough. If you were more loving, maybe I'd be, I don't know, maybe you don't like my style or my way, but I tell you this, everything I'm doing is so that you can have a moment. Absolutely everything I'm about is that this church would have a moment because I believe that God is trying to position us in a place because churches that know how to arrive at places suddenly begin to function in a way that they can't without going to those places. And if God has meant this church to be governmental in any way to affect our region, he needs us to operate from a place. And you know what? That's more important than anything in terms of the collective life of this church. God has purpose and destiny for this place. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are giving us an opportunity. And, Father, uh, I'm going to speak on behalf of all those who are annoyed at Mark, all those who are frustrated that Mark never seems to be satisfied or happy. It's not that I'm not satisfied or not happy. I am happy. I go to places, wonderful places. I want you to have the same experience because God wants to transform us in ways we couldn't even begin to imagine. But the question is, do we want it as badly as he wants it? So Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would enable us to desire this so that our desire for it begins to equal yours. In Jesus' name. So I stepped over the threshold, and as I stepped over the threshold, the sound intensified. And I stepped on a pressure plate it's like when you go to a, a drive through or a gas station or whatever, it makes that bell sound. But I stepped on a pressure plate, and all of a sudden, the floor in the place, ah! 
sky. Like a Scrabble game flipped over. And it spelled a word. It said a new standard. A new standard. And I was immersed in the sound and I could hear in the spirit, I could hear all of the preaching on earth and all of the singing on earth and all of the praise on earth, and it mixed with this sound from heaven. It's a cacophony of sound. I can't explain it. It's like the river of life that comes from the throne room of God, and it's just, it's overwhelming. And the sound of earth mixed with the sound of heaven. Ah! Ah! And the sound of earth started to diminish. But it was the mixing of sounds as it is in heaven. So it shall be on earth as it is in earth. So shall it be in heaven. And as the sound mixed, I could see out of this ancient building built of stone, not a person in it. There wasn't a person in it. I guess I was in it, but I wasn't really in it. I was just being shown it. This sound was just swirling and moving and I looked I was taken to the outside of the building and there was all of these aqueducts or spouts better as a word spouts troughs of spouts and water was flooding back down to earth all around this building there was this 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 water flooding to earth and as it came to earth it it ah it became droplets little droplets and it was being spread all over the earth. Little sound droplets of rain were being rained down all over the earth. And I felt the Lord say to community church, I'm establishing a sound. I'm establishing a new standard of a sound. So I felt today that I needed to prophesy. Prophesy from authority that the Lord is establishing a new sound. A mixture of heaven and earth. A threshold has been reached and has been reached. We stepped over and we've stepped into this new sound and it's causing transformation throughout the earth. Little, the very first thing I heard the Holy Spirit say to, today, tell my people that they haven't been uh, deleted. They've just been depleted. I felt the Lord say, You've poured out your alabaster jars and you haven't necessarily seen a result, but it hasn't been about a result. It's been just about the alabaster jar. And I heard the Lord say, look around you, there's many more alabaster jars. So if you feel that you're insignificant or your praise is not uh, enough, the Lord is saying that even a widow's might of praise is enough from your lips. Ah! I believe that as we play this, my desire has been that God would align our desires so that we are unsatisfied until we cross over a certain threshold because the Lord, I believe, is about to raise our capacity for a new threshold to enter into. And this is what we want. We want to be unsatisfied until we meet that threshold. We, we don't want to be satisfied with just subtle nuances of his presence. There's, a, there's, a, there's an encounter level that needs to happen. 
So if we have that same anticipation, if we have that same threshold of desire, we won't be able to stop before it. And what happens is we'll be able to enter into it much faster. So let's play that sound and let's enjoy entering in. Let your spirit pull you in. The sound that's coming down during that moment, it's, it's like that scripture I read last week when it says that the lion will eat grass with the ox and the child will put his hand into the den of the viper and the cobra. It says, because the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord is an atmospheric presence that subdues everything that is contrary to it. And it is released as the church enters into atmospheres of worship. We are the conduit through which that presence comes to the earth. That's what this is. And there's more to come. You know, when David was going to war at a particular juncture, uh, one-third of the men went and two-thirds stayed back because they were exhausted and they are tired and they just couldn't go. But they all shared in the reward equally, which is the way it goes. You know, when, if you look at a natural army, it's like 10% of that army is the literal fighting force. 90% of the army is is behind it is supplies and clerks and you know truck drivers and uh, you know medics and all the rest of the doctors so so just because we're not at the front edge doesn't mean we're not needed or our role is superfluous we need every single one there are, there are types of giftings that may not be you know find their their niche at the front row, you know, of an event like this. But you could still be there. And sometimes you need to be there just to be reminded what this is really about. Like, like uh, you know, what are, we, what are we doing? Where is this going? You know, sometimes you just need a tour of the, the whole business to, you know, if you're working in the warehouse, you might get a little despondent after all. What's the point? I, you know, but, but so God is doing something. And we need to be energized about our part, but we need to be committed to this central vision, which is the kingdom of heaven on earth. One last thing. I really believe that we're at a time where the Lord is going to give us an ability to begin to shape uh, the sound of worship across the province. One of the things we've been doing with the Alberta Lynx is bringing in other anointed musicians, bass players and, and, uh, and singers and whatnot. And, and there is an appetite out there 
for the kind of worship that I used to only see at national, international gatherings when we were in Hong Kong. This moment we had here, six minutes, and it went longer, but there would be seasons in, in these events in Hong Kong where you'd have 30 minutes of that kind of presence and sound. And there was no impatience, there was that nurturing because it was, you were sitting in a pocket of glory and, uh, and so God is training us to find those pockets, to sit in them, and to not get impatient. You know, kids, like, they got to go from thing to thing every five seconds. You know, we, when we become more mature, we don't need distractions as much. We can stay disciplined and stay in things. So, so all of this is leading us to something. And ultimately, Canada will be changed. Come on. Canada will be changed. Laclabish will be changed. Hallelujah. Alberta will be changed. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for what we say. We are your workmanship. And, Father, we are, at times we are uncooperative workmanship. But, Lord, we say we want to lay still on your operating table and allow you to do what you want to do us. Inform us and shape us and prepare us, Lord, for the things you've dreamed that you would use us for. So, Father, we we say do it in Jesus' name.